I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. About 20 years ago, the number of people dying from chronic diseases surpassed the number of people dying from infectious ones. Though vaccines have contributed to the shift, they've generally not been harnessed to address chronic conditions. Vaccinity is seeking to change that by using vaccine technology to address the growing burden of chronic diseases. It's advancing a new class of synthetic, peptide-based vaccines designed to activate the body's immune system to produce antibodies to combat neurodegenerative, cardiovascular, and other chronic conditions. The company's pipeline includes experimental therapies for Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, and hypercholesterolemia. We spoke to Mei Mei Yu, CEO of Vaccinity, about the case for using vaccines to address chronic conditions, the benefits this approach provides, and how its platform technology activates the immune system to battle non-communicable diseases. Meme, thanks for joining us. It's great to be here, Danny. We're going to talk about chronic diseases, vaccinity, and its efforts to develop a new class of therapeutic vaccines to treat these conditions. In, In terms of chronic diseases, What's the need and opportunity today? Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, um, our life expectancy has doubled since the turn of the last century. So we're plagued with very different diseases today versus that time. Um, and today, all the top causes of diseases are, are, are of deaths are chronic diseases. So over 50% of adults suffer from one, uh, which means, you know, 140 million people in the U.S. alone. And it accounts for over 70% of all deaths. Uh, More interestingly, it accounts for 85% of all health expenditure. Um, And it doesn't just affect the rich, Danny. So four-fifths of all deaths in in China, for instance, are from chronic diseases. And the same is true in countries, even as various as Jamaica, Sri Lanka, and Egypt. Uh, The main difference is that in those um, countries, chronic diseases are even more deadly. So I would say that this is really the epidemic of our generation and of our, our day. We've seen tremendous success with the use of monoclonal antibodies at treating some of these conditions. What are the limits of these therapies today? Yeah, absolutely. So these these monoclonal antibodies, um, for those of you who don't know, they're they're very complex proteins that are very specific and targeted, and they've become this kind of magical drug, right? They're one of the most successful classes of drugs today. Um, and not counting COVID, they comprise of, I think, like eight out of the top 10 selling drugs in the world, right? So they're very safe, they're very effective. Um, but the problem is the average cost is about $100,000 a year, and they require a lot of burden to the patient, um, you know, up to weekly infusions. So the cost, inconvenience, and really lack of scale are serious limitations, which is why Globally, um, less than 1% is currently on these monoclonals, even though there are many, many more obviously could benefit. 
what's the potential benefit of using vaccine technology to combat these diseases? So this is exactly the, the, the right question, right? Vaccines have historically been, you know, one of the most prolific medicines in our history um, with over the 80% of the world vaccinated today against, you know, somewhere over 25 vaccine preventable diseases. So the question is, what if we can now apply this efficiency of the vaccine against chronic diseases, right? Vaccines are more convenient. You can think about you know, how easy it was to get your flu shot or your COVID shot. Um, they're much more affordable uh, and they're obviously more scalable, right? Billions and billions of people are vaccinated all the time. So imagine, you know, if you can bring vaccines to chronic diseases, you're talking about bringing something that's accessible and first line for everyone. We first spoke on the show about COVAX and its experimental COVID-19 vaccine. Vaccinity came about through a combination of the United Biomedical subsidiary COVAX and the United Biomedical spinoff United Neuroscience. What was the thinking behind this combination? Um, so, as, as you mentioned, you know this is um, a combination of, of two different companies, uh, both of which were vaccine companies. Um, COVAX was started for COVID nineteen, which at the time we didn't know, you know, what it was going to become, whether it was going to stay around, whether uh, it was just going to fade away like the original SARS. And so when we realized that COVID wasn't going away, um, we decided that it's, it was better to merge these two companies because it's the same teams working on the same type of vaccine platforms, doing the same um, manufacturing processes, and wouldn't it be better just to have one company that focused on all human indications. So that was really um, the, the thinking behind why vaccinity and how vaccinity came to be. What's the relationship today between vaccinity and United Biomedical? So, so vaccinity now has its, its own labs. We're down in Cape Canaveral. Um, we run our own clinical trials. We have our own development team. Um, UBI continues, though, to be a major shareholder of vaccinity. So that's the, the basis of the relationship today. In terms of platform technology, Vaccinity has a synthetic peptide platform. This is used to generate vaccines. Walk me through how it works. Yeah, so um, I guess there's two components here, right? So the first is a, a vaccine. How vaccines generally work um, is that you give the body something very small, like a small antigen, to trigger an immune response, um, in this case, triggering the body to develop antibodies, right? So you know, there's a lot of different types of vaccine technologies, so from mRNA to adenovirus to inactivated, where you kind of beat up a virus and give that to the body. So we use synthetic peptides. These are small, chemically synthesized, very, very clean um, peptides, and we use them to mimic natural biology, but they're all synthetic, so, so there's no biohazard risk whatsoever. Uh, and then we use those synthetic peptides in the, a very special form, um, to mimic whatever we're trying to target. And we introduce that to the body. And that kind of trains the body um, to develop antibodies against whatever we want. There's a reason we haven't seen vaccines used to address chronic diseases in the past. And that has to do with the fact that there are a number of barriers in applying this approach, things like immune tolerance, durability, and, and off-target effects. How does your technology overcome these challenges? So um, you're absolutely right in that this isn't um, a, a new idea, right? So people have tried it before. And one of the hardest things is to overcome immune tolerance, which is really get the body to develop antibodies against itself, 
right? Or our bodies are, are brilliant. Um, you know, they're trained not to attack themselves. That would be autoimmune disease. So what we have to do is, I like to call it like a sheep and wolf's clothing analogy. Um, what we do is we trick the body, right? So we develop uh, our vaccines to kind of trick the body by half looking like a wolf and saying, hey, you know what? Pay attention to me. I'm something foreign. But then we kind of do a bait and switch. And what we drive the immune response to is something that's a, an epitope of a protein that's, you know, what we call endogenous or of self. Um, overall, you know, it's ultimately the proof is in the pudding and you have to see how uh, it works. And so we've spent decades really tinkering with this technology and getting it to a point where we can really safely generate a really robust immune response against a self protein. And it's one of the few technologies in the world that can do this today. Vaccinity is continuing to develop its experimental vaccine for COVID-19, as well as a pipeline of candidates targeting indications with therapeutic vaccines. Your lead indication here is for Alzheimer's disease. While there's been growing interest in using immunotherapies to target Alzheimer's, which some view as an inflammatory disease, you're going after amyloid beta, a, a popular target, but one that's been at the heart of many late-stage drug failures. Why pursue amyloid beta? Well, um, luckily for, for us, the field has recently um, shown that actually amyloid beta is a great target, right? There are now large-scale trials um, that have led to approved drugs that have really validated this target. But originally, um, we really liked amyloid beta or beta amyloid because there was just so much evidence from a genetic standpoint about its implication in the disease, right? There's a genetic form of Alzheimer's. There's a gene that increases risk of Alzheimer's that's associated with beta amyloid. Um, so all of these things kind of added to uh, amyloid as a viable target. And now, um, after many, many decades of failures, they're finally a success um, showing that this is a good target for the disease. Well, what's your experimental therapy, UB311, and, and how does it work? So uh, UB311 targets, um, as we said, beta amyloid, and it targets a, a very specific form, subclass of beta amyloid, um, which are these aggregated forms. So our body produces beta amyloid, you know, since we're very young. Um, it's only when it begins misfolding that it becomes toxic to the brain. And so what UB311 does is when we vaccinate you, um, we teach the body to develop antibodies or little drugs against these aggregated forms, these toxic forms of, of um, beta amyloid. And by doing so, uh, we take out this toxicity out of the system um, and allow your body to, you know, um, clear them naturally as well. Uh, and as a result, the hope is that the idea is that we can delay the progression of Alzheimer's or ultimately even prevent it from ever happening. You know, one of the things with Alzheimer's is that it's a disease that takes many, many decades um, to build up. And the idea is the earlier you can intervene, the better result you can have at delaying or preventing it in the first place. Targeting proteins in the brain does that present any delivery challenge as far as a therapeutic vaccine? Oh, of course. Uh, targeting anything in the brain um, is challenging. Uh, the brain, thankfully for, for our system, is, is very well protected um, a lot of times by something called the blood-brain barrier. 
So one of the challenges is we have to make sure that we develop antibodies that get across the blood-brain barrier and are actually able to, to get in the spinal fluid um, to be able to attach to the relevant beta amyloid. So we've definitely done a lot of testing and we've monitored it and, and we can show and see that our antibodies that we generate do actually get across the blood-brain barrier in a very small percentage, but uh, we think in an enough level. Does that suggest anything about the dose of the vaccine and doing things to make it more robust? Um, so it definitely dosing is very important in the development of any drug. And so what we want to do is we want to maximize something called the area under the curve. So the overall exposure to the antibodies, right? Um, you know, with monoclonal antibodies, you kind of measure about there's something called the, the Cmax, which is the peak. Um, but after a while, the drug wanes off. And so what we really care about more is how much antibody is the body being exposed to over a length of time. And we want to optimize and maximize that level. What's known about the experimental vaccine from studies you've done to date? Oh, so we've learned a lot. This was our first program into the clinic. We've conducted a phase one and a phase two. Um, and we've dosed folks up to 10 repeat doses and followed them for you know up to three years. So there's a, been a lot of um, studies conducted on UV311. And what we found is, first, it seems generally safe and very well tolerated. Um, almost 100% of people that have it, uh, virtually 100% get an immune response. So they are able to break immune tolerance and generate very high levels of antibodies. And those antibodies um, are targeting what we want them to target. And even though the, the study has been small, what we've actually seen is really exciting, which is that we can uh, slow cognitive decline by about 50% compared to placebo. And so the next step forward is to really reproduce this in a large-scale study. So uh, we've, you know, we've gotten fast-track designation from the FDA, which means that it's a very promising um, immunotherapeutic. And we've also gotten guidance from them that uh, has really gotten alignment on our next study, which is a large-scale study um, showing efficacy in Alzheimer's patients. And are you doing anything in terms of patient selection to verify that someone does have the amyloid beta proteins? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a key to clinical trial design. So um, our patient population is going to be in early stage Alzheimer's, um, and they have to have uh, proof that there's amyloid in the brain. So we'll do a PET scan as a screening criteria and show that they're beta amyloid positive. Um, we'll also screen for something called tau, just to make sure that they have some level of tau and not too much. Because if you have too much of these proteins in your brain, you're probably at a later stage already. And what's the development path forward? Um, so we are in the process of um, finding a partner to work together with uh, on our next large-scale efficacy study. So this will be in hundreds of patients, um, kind of reproducing our earlier stage trials and showing that we can slow the cognitive decline. There are a range of conditions you're pursuing, but a, a broader range of potential condition. What makes a chronic disease a, a good candidate for your vaccine approach? And, and, and perhaps you can illustrate that with some of the other vaccines you have in development. Yeah, sure. So um, the, the playing field for what we can go after is really large, right? 
basically any target that's accessible by monoclonal antibody, we can develop a vaccine towards. But, you know, like everything, we have to choose and, you know, prioritize. And so what we look for are areas where the target has been validated. So where we know what the biology involved is, that's first. And then we also look, is there a regulatory and development path that's attractive, right? Uh, Have other people paved the way? So we know what we need to hit in order to get approval. And then the third is, you know, what is the unmet need? We look after areas where there's large population unmet need, where there's a lot of people that could benefit from a biologic like a monoclonal antibody, but maybe it's very difficult to access. So, for instance, our, our next two programs that we brought into the clinic, Danny, uh, one's for migraine and one is for um, hypocholesterolemia or high cholesterol, right? These are areas where these monoclonals are already on the market and they've shown amazing efficacy. But patients have to go through a lot of hurdles in order to get to. And even if they, they get to a prescription, oftentimes insurance doesn't reimburse. So this is an area where we feel like we can have a, add tremendous value, where we know what the biology is. We know that the drug, once given, can work. And really, it's about accessibility and how do we broaden it to the, the largest patient population possible. I mentioned your experimental COVID vaccine. Where are you in efforts to develop that? So we actually read out uh, really positive phase three data last year, and we're currently in um, uh, submission process for approval with a number of high-income regulators. So we were, as far as I know, the first company really to go head-to-head against all the other platforms. So we went against um, mRNA, adenovirus, and inactivated, and we performed beautifully against all of them uh, in even more uh, well against you know the, the latest strains. And so what we show is you know we have great neutralizing antibodies uh, when we boost people who have been vaccinated by any of those other platforms. Um, and so, you know, we've, we've shared and publicized our data and we're right now uh, looking to get approval and really help distribute to the rest of the world. And um, what's the advantage you bring with that, that vaccine? So I, I call it like a next-gen vaccine. Um, and really from next-generation standpoint, you're looking for a few things. Um, the first is ability to neutralize against multiple variants, right, and emerging variants. Um, And that's one that uh, we seem to do very well at. You know, we've tested against alpha, beta, delta, gamma, omicron, omicron 2, all of these different variants, and and we have really nice neutralization against them all. Um, Another important thing is durability. So if if you've um, had a COVID vaccine um, or a booster, you see that oftentimes your antibodies will wane after a very short period of time. So one of the things that we're looking for is actually enhance the durability so it can cover you for the entire season. Uh, and then lastly, it goes back to logistics and accessibility. Um, you know, mRNA vaccines, they still require very deep, cold chain uh, logistical infrastructure. And it's one thing to have that over a pandemic, but it's another thing when you're talking about annual um, shots. And so one of our advantages is Anywhere you can get fresh flowers, pretty much, uh, we can get our vaccine. So it makes it a lot more attractive for the rest of the world. In late 2021, Vaccinity completed an $85 million IPO at $13 a share. It's not been a great time to be a public biotech. The company's shares are a little more than $2 today. What's the conversation with shareholders like? Um, You know, we're, we're fortunate. 
and that most of our investors are in this for the long haul, right? Um, you know, we were one of the last biotechs to go out, and you know, the, you're right, the market hasn't been great. <laughs> um, but our investors really they believe in our vision to bring the efficiency of vaccines to chronic diseases, and they understand that disruptive visions take time. Um, and so, as long as we're continuing to hit our milestones to make progress in that march, um, they've been very patient. You know, Bezos has a great perspective on long-term goals. Basically, that if if everything you do works on a short-term basis, you know, you're competing with a lot of people. But if you're willing to invest in the longer-term horizon, you're competing against a fraction because very few companies are willing to do that. And we're blessed to be one of those companies because we believe that not only can we do uh, and accomplish our, our vision, but that it's of utmost importance to the world that we do so. So we're in it for the long haul. That said, how far will existing funding take you and what's the plan for raising additional capital? So um, we've, we've rejiggered our finances so that we actually have um, considerable one rate into at least the second half of next year. But more importantly, we have runway that allows us to fold and unfold lots of cards so we can um, see what our data looks like for our Parkinson's vaccine, for our migraine vaccine, for our hypercholesterolemia vaccine. Um, for our COVID approval, and also for um, getting a partnership with our Alzheimer's vaccine. So we have lots of shots on goals, um, all that uh, can be hit with our existing funding. Maymay Yu, CEO of Vaccinity. Maymay, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks a lot, Danny. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.